Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial at searchenginejournal.com forward slash audible and get your first book for free. We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world and all we can think about is where... Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part of work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. So should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Uh, my name is Lauren Baker. I'm the founder of Search Engine Journal, as Kelsey said. I've been in this industry for um, maybe way too long, but long enough to have seen different types of acquisition slash link building slash link earning initiatives happen, and then we're talking about a great webinar to kind of end the year, so I thought about, hey, why don't we go over some of the tactics and strategies that I've seen work this year, and then I feel that will be important for next year as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Lauren. So just to start off, what I wanted to do was say that, you know, <clears throat> from a link building, link acquisition perspective, uh, for this presentation and webinar, I'm going to go into more like things that work for me and things to do. It will be less of basic link building or content marketing strategy. But I do recommend two different resources on SEJ for you to check out. Uh, the first is a guide um, from link building to link earning that was put together by our own Anna Crow, and it's part of our overall SEO guide. So I highly recommend that you go over to SEJ and read, download, uh, bookmark our SEO guide. And then also I had done a um, webinar earlier in the year about how to build links using content marketing and outreach. And that goes much more into depth about um, different ways to do so. So I highly recommend everyone check those two out. But today, I'm going to be reviewing link acquisition that I know that works. Um, and, and one thing I'd like to also say is, you know, there's link building, there's link acquisition, there's link earning. I think all of those terms can be used to define one thing. And that one thing is really just getting links and external signals to your site. Um, it's, it, to me, it's all the same. Uh, to me, it's all building value and value in your own property that's going to lead to other people recommending your property. And at the end of the day, that's what Google had developed, uh, the linking component of its algo for. And that's what you should be doing. That's what you should have been doing for the past 15 years. So um, anyway, <clears throat> today I'm going to go a little bit into quality outreach because I have a great example um, that I like to utilize on multiple other campaigns that I think um, you all can learn from as well. Uh, podcast tours. I really think that you know podcasting, well, podcasting blew up in 2016 and 2015, of course, and we kind of saw this huge resurgence. And it, it's really a, a low resource way to go out there and do a press tour or contribute content to other sites and get back high quality links. So I'll go into that a little bit. Proprietary data. So you really want to be the source. There's so much um, content out there that's just curating other people's work or maybe repurposing data and studies that other third parties have done. And then you get to the end of an infographic and there's like 20 uh, resource links. What I really like to do is create proprietary data for my clients and work together on studies and such uh, to get those out there. So I'll go deep into that as well. Also the importance of syncing with PR and a public relations team. 
link repo, um, also known as link reclamation. So really getting your links back and making sure that the links that you build you have for an ongoing time. Uh, something that I like to call link gratitude. And then also the importance of hitting the email list. And then from a more advanced link retention standpoint, I'm going to get a little bit into uh, the importance of just really documenting everything you do on the link building side. Uh, eliminating redirects, especially when you're going through URL or SSL migrations. Um, the power of cross-domain canonicals and in the world of content syndication. And also, you know, really focus on content that grows its own links over time. Because at the end of the day, it's great to build links for SEO, but I would rather acquire links to a great piece of content that's going to rank and over time is going to continuously be resourced. People are going to link to, people are going to share, et cetera, et cetera, and help the mothership, of course, rank better. One of the first things I like to do when I'm embarking on a content marketing or link acquisition campaign is really looking at what else works out there. And a lot of what we do on the agency side are things like reimagining, um, pieces of content like reimagining. So you'll see this a lot with uh, reimagining Disney uh, princesses as uh, college students or moms or uh, business um, people or, or reimagining uh, things like uh, football helmets in the uh, theme of Star Wars. So basically an artist put together a list or a, a bunch of different pictures of football helmets um, that instead of the normal teams, it's, it's basically Star Wars characters. They put it up on a site called uh, a Behance, um, which is basically a showcase where artists can show their work, and then if you want to, you can hire them or whatever. Um, well, this went extremely viral. This is about, this is also, I believe, at the beginning of last year when the new Star Wars movie was coming out, and or the end of last year when the new Star Wars movie was coming out and the football season was about to start. It was like perfect timing. So the first thing I noticed when looking at this campaign, and we used some of this data to plan for another campaign that we did that was similar, was looking at the sites that picked this up. So the first thing I noticed here is that NFL.com actually embedded all of these graphics on their site. Um, and shared them and linked back to the source. That's pretty amazing. It's amazing on two levels. Um, one, NFL.com supported this. And two, that's a great link to get from NFL.com. But looking deeper and just doing a search on Google for like Star Wars NFL helmets, I also noticed that CBS Sports picked it up. ESPN picked it up. Sports Grid picked it up. Um, better link that you can get from ESPN, whose parent company is Disney, which also owns Star Wars, right? So if you're putting something together like this um, from a link acquisition perspective, like this is gold. I believe that the artist had just done this to really build his or her name. But um, what this shows me is that a lot of these major sites are very interested in picking up this type of content. And as you see from the Majestic, um, majestic uh, SEO or Majestic.com report, we had a there were a lot of different sites and domains that picked this up and the trust flow was really high. So one thing I would like to say, I'm not going to go into metrics that much in this presentation, but um, Majestic Trust Flow is it's really what I look at all the time when I'm building a link campaign or trying to judge a value of a link because it's supposed to be one of the 
closest indicators of Google's judgment of quality and trustworthiness. So check that out. So you go ahead and do your research on what linked to your main target site. But then what I want to like to do is take that list of what linked to the original site, right? And you can find that um, in SEM Rush or whatever. Dump that into Majestic. So you take all your links that link to site A, right? And then you go to Majestic and you utilize their tool called Balk Backlinks, which as you can see is in the link map tools. And you can dump all of that into Majestic. So these are all the direct links that link to site A. And then once you dump that in there, it's going to give you a report of all the links that link to site B. Case in point, you have one layer of links, uh, direct links, and then the second layer of links, co-citation links. So for example, um, in this example, which was a fashion-oriented campaign that we were working on, we found that the site called TheEveryGirl.com, which linked to my client, ended up having multiple links, which linked to the TheEveryGirl.com um, article about my client. Um, and their genes. So what we did was we pulled this list and this became kind of our second wave of outreach. Um, knowing that these bloggers are probably not the type of bloggers that people pitch all the time. People typically pitch the bloggers that they find on say page one or page two at Google. Um, and, and it's crazy being one of those bloggers. We're one of them at SEJ. We get pitched day and night. But um, by doing this we were able to identify some bloggers that really don't get pitched all that often, and then going back and pitching them and approaching them um, or just asking them for a direct link to our client when they link to the blog post that linked to our client uh, worked tremendously. Another quick tip and tactic, especially if you're doing anything on the visual content side, is that a lot of effort is utilized into reaching out to direct blogs or whatnot, but I really like to go out and get featured on the types of properties where blogs and, and bloggers find their content. So there's a ton of different infographic or design sites out there. Um, one is visually, which is not on this list, but two that I see picked up by bloggers quite often are Infographic Journal and Design Taxi. Um, infographic Journal is owned by um, David and Irma Wallace. Um, they're SEOs or whatnot, but they put together a great property over the past couple of years. It gets a ton of traffic. Some of the infographics that we've had on there have gone viral from Infographic Journal, and which is kind of a um, double-edged sword because we see all, all of this, uh, all these people seeing the brand and linking the Infographic Journal links to us, but then they also link to Infographic Journal. But anyway, um, and then Design Taxi, it's a harder one to get onto. They have some pretty strict standards. But if you're investing in really good visual content and get on Design Taxi, I'll show you an example of something that kind of launched from there. So last year, there was this big uh, trend uh, um, uh, around lumber sexuals. And lumber sexuals are basically hipsters uh, and, uh, and metrosexuals that dress like lumberjacks. So anyway, this is a trend that was going on at the time. Everyone was talking about it. So I have a client in the home space and decor space where we put together the Lumber Sexuals Guide to Decorating. Very good infographic. We spent a lot of time on it. Um, very nice design. It was also a trending topic. Well, 
we were going out and reaching out to a lot of design blogs and things like that um, in terms of design and decor, but not necessarily some of the heavy hitters, uh, just because we wanted to get those decor-oriented links. But we put it up on Design Taxi, um, which is this image at the top. And then what we found was that this site, thebustle.com, which is a great uh, trending topic-oriented uh, pop culture site, found the infographic on Design Taxi, wrote an article about it, and embedded the infographic accordingly within the article. Then another writer over at Huffington Post, uh, Carly Ledbetter, who is their, um, she's one of their, their chief editors of um, uh, Living, I think, uh, there at HuffPo, she saw the article on the bustle and put together the infographic on a HuffPo post and linked to the bustle as a source. So there's your trail right there, right? It took a really great piece of content, got it on Design Taxi. Someone on the bustle picked it up from Design Taxi, and then HuffPo picked it up from the bustle. And this is a great, this is the best kind of link earning you can do when you don't have to go out there and really pitch and promote all the time. People start picking up stuff on their own. And that's really what I mean about building content with legs. Another thing I noticed recently um, when I was putting together a uh, basically a backlink portfolio study on a men's lifestyle site or a group of men's style lifestyle men's lifestyle sites for a project was that some of the links that were pointing to that lifestyle site that had the highest majestic trust flow and highest authority actually came from sites uh, which are blogs that have blogcasts or sorry podcasts or podcast sites themselves. So when I saw this, and I was putting, you know, I'm putting together a strategy right now for next year um, for this site, and I saw this, I'm like, oh wow, look at this. Um, you have you and your competitors, are, at least your competitors, are getting more and more links <clears throat> from these podcast sites. And podcasters are doing a really great job of not just putting their podcasts out there from an audio perspective, but also um, getting them building pages and sites around them, all, almost like we've done at uh, Marketing Nerds and putting together the show notes. So typically within those show notes, there's information about the podcast itself and the transcription and direct links. And here's some example of some dating podcasts. And then also some digital marketing podcasts that I found on Player FM. So if you're going to go out there and really plan a podcast tour, I would suggest... Um, starting with the ones that are most relevant to you, of course, and some connections that you have. And then also, <clears throat> also doing it around a specific, um, specific item. So in addition to um, marketing nerds, Rainmaker.fm, which uh, used to be a copy blogger, is part of copy blogger. They do a great, really great job of the show notes as well. So here's a good example. Um, they, they did an uh, interview. Um, with someone, and in their show notes, they link to that person's blog, they link to their site, they link to their to their social handle, and then um, also have a transcript. So this is a great way to really acquire links from high quality sites. Um, so one of the first steps I would say, if you're if you can do a podcast tour, and this is really a low resource way to build links, because hey, doing a podcast itself takes a lot of time and effort, but taking 30 minutes to jump on someone else's podcast is probably the easiest marketing you can do in the world. 
So research podcasts, which have their own websites and actually have show notes that link out <coughs> to their guests, um, the ones that link out to the guests are your top targets. Now, of course, podcasting is more like PR, right? But at the end of the day, you get links, you get PR, you get exposure. It's a win-win-win scenario. And right now is a great time to reach out to a lot of different podcasters and ask about their editorial calendars for 2017 and trying to secure a spot to be interviewed. It's really great marketing, and at the end of the day, it's a PR initiative. So when you're going out and pitching the podcasters, try to make sure that you have something to discuss. So if you're trying to pitch Kelsey or Danielle or myself about being a guest on SEG Marketing Nerds podcast, I'd say maybe like if you launched a book recently or a product or you have a case study or something really cool, that would help you really cut through everyone else that's pitching accordingly. And um, yeah, we've been doing a little bit of this with getting uh, clients um, on other podcasts and it's really gonna be something that we focus on next year to get those high value links. So, <clears throat> working with PR teams. Since 2% of you only work with PR teams, or I'm sorry, 6% now, only work with PR teams for links, I wanted to kind of go into this a little bit. So, I have a client that is a, a shopping e-commerce oriented um, property, and they had put together a, uh, they had launched a new wedding channel on their site with all kinds of wedding registry options and wedding products, et cetera, et cetera. And we really needed to build a lot of links to them. Um, and this section, and really get the news out there, they have it as well. So the first thing that we did was, since they are kind of an e-commerce and savings-oriented company, we put together a cost analysis of movie weddings, right? And on my agency side, we did a lot of outreach to movie sites and to um, different, uh, different again, pop culture, trending sites, et cetera, et cetera. But their PR team had some great relationships with some established uh, bridal sites, uh, with some, they always do like segments on Good Morning America and things like that. So the worst case scenario is that you can have a great content marketing campaign that the PR team at your client or within your company doesn't know about. And then likewise, they can have a great PR campaign that you don't know about that doesn't lead to links being built to you, right? That's the, that's the worst. When, when your PR team gets an article in the Wall Street Journal and it doesn't link back, right? It just links to your stock ticker or whatever it is. So what we did is we synced up with PR. <coughs> we put together our infographic that we did for the client went out and did outreach, but also really empowered the PR team on the client side to take that infographic and promote it accordingly. And the end result was really getting this piece featured in Brides Magazine, in thenot.com, in instyle.com. And what that really did is that, yeah, we can get these links, but they had contacts too, and this really took it to the next level from a link building perspective. Um, this is like getting your infographic or your content um, published in one of these major publications doesn't always also help, you know, from a linking perspective, but it really helps move that content up the chain internally within the company that you're working for or working with because it leads to them saying, oh my gosh, you got this in InStyle and the not. I want to do more of this. 
So this is a case where it really paid off with us working together with the client's PR team to get them some great coverage. At the same time, um, we'll do things with PR teams like put together um, petitions. So here's a fairly timely one, actually from last year. Uh, it was Make Black Friday a National Holiday. Only 48% of the country observes Black Friday as a paid day off. And our um, petition and program was to get people to say that, hey, they want Black Friday off. We got some news coverage. We got some radio coverage, et cetera, et cetera. So my tips for coordinating with PR, whether if it's at your client or internally within your company, is one, coordinate well ahead of time. Right? Because you want to get on their calendar, they want to get on your calendar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, two, integrate the consumer data or survey results that they do into your content piece and vice versa. That way, you see so many releases go out there on MarketWire or whatever that have survey and data results from a study, but there's no visual content. And all of those different press release companies out there have the ability, give you the ability to upload visual content to that piece. If you can take your infographic that you've done from a link earning or building perspective and get that inserted into that press release, one, there's a higher chance it will be picked up, and then two, are noticed by reporters and journalists, and then two, you're giving them something that's very easy for them to embed in their posts. And that's what we did. Um, on some of those campaigns I showed you before. Divide and conquer. So communication is really key, especially when you're working with departments within your company or, or your client side. Split outreach responsibilities up. You don't want to be reaching out to the companies that your client's PR team has relationships with and vice versa. They don't want to be hitting up, you don't want them hitting up your blogger contacts. You want to kind of keep them to yourself, but <coughs> make sure you split up responsibilities and if you've ever done outreach before, you've probably gotten an uh, email. If you've ever done outreach to like SEJ, you've probably got an email back from Kelsey telling you to go somewhere and never contact us again or something like that. So what you want to do is make sure that um, you put a red flag on those contacts and make sure that you don't reach outreach to them anymore and also that the client's PR team doesn't reach out. So make sure you communicate that across the board. Always target radio stations. I really think that radio stations are one of the most underutilized targets from an outreach perspective because all of them run a blog and they're just craving like crazy info and data to, if they don't talk about it on the air, they just need content to put on their blog to keep them alive. So always target radio stations. It's really easy to put together a list of different radio stations and their contact info, et cetera, et cetera, and include them in your outreach. And then also um, with PR, like I said, sometimes when you're doing a PR campaign, you always don't get the links back. So these are the kinds of opportunities that you're going to include in your link repo or link reclamation strategy, which I'll get into later. I also think that the stock image uh, campaign that was done uh, for this uh, Vince Vaughn movie was one of the best uh, campaigns ever um, done from a PR perspective. So I wanted to put that in there. Secondly, be the source. Um, use proprietary data. So, like I said previously, you see a lot of infographics or studies or articles out there where half of the thing is sourcing, right? Um, who wants to share an infographic with 20 different links at the bottom of it where you're getting information from all these different third parties? 
What I like to do is work with clients and work on projects to make sure that we're the source, to make sure that we're putting out original info that's going to get picked up at first from our marketing initiatives, but then people are going to link to in the future when they're doing research on the subject. So <clears throat> Google Consumer um, Insights is a great and inexpensive way to do this. It's extremely cheap. You can put together a survey in a matter of minutes. Um, you can get the responses in a matter of hours, and then you can really dig it down. So um, we had done one about uh, which presidential candidate would be the best roommate or worst roommate, and had all these questions like, which is uh, presidential candidate is more likely to borrow your stuff, and which one is most likely not to do their dishes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This again was for that home client that we were working with. So what we found was. Um, using Google Insights, or Google Consumer Insights, we could get all this information very rapidly, right? Because this is a this is a, a quick idea. We're like, let's do it. We put it together, and then we put it into an infographic. But we could also utilize Google Consumer Insights to drill down from a demographic perspective, right? So here are some that are results that are weighted by age and gender at the top. Um, results for 25 to 34 year olds weighted by region. Again, great and expensive way to find that data and information that no one else has that you're the original source of it. Um, another project I was working on <coughs> last year was uh, we, we did a piece for a client um, that was looking to get link value back to their Star Wars toys uh, section of their website. And so what we did was we decided instead of just focusing on Star Wars, focusing on every single um, ship from every single sci-fi TV show and movie out there, there is, and determine which one is the fastest. Well, there hadn't really been a study on this before, um, believe it or not, and what we did was we looked for uh, different quotes from movies around ships and things like that, and then worked with two different physicists to put together um, a group of uh, G-force and I think that's speed of light. I'm not a scientist, so I'm not sure. Um, oriented, um, oriented formulas to determine the exact speed of these ships. And when we put this out there, since it was an original information, it took off. It was covered probably on every single sci-fi or fan blog there was. It uh, trended on Facebook for a day, and um, what also happened was I like to call the uh, the Gizmodo effect. So Sploid is the sci-fi uh, column or section of Gizmodo, and when this was published on Sploid, it took off. From there on, every almost every single site out there, from Gizmodo, it went to Nerdist, it went to IFL Science, it went everywhere else, and the end result was really a lot of links. So when I pulled this data a, a little while back, it showed 127 different domains, 600 something links linking to this post. But over the past year and a half since it's been live, uh, that was 367 domains and 4,000 odd links. Now a lot of that comes from feeds and things like that. But the point is that it picked up a lot of links. It picked up a lot of links really quickly from gaming sites, sci-fi sites, fan sites, etc., etc., And then <coughs> last time I pulled the data on this was in October, I believe, it was still getting links. Um, this is a, a chart from <coughs> Majestic, and this 
piece was still getting linked by sci-fi blogs, sci-fi forums, multiple different languages, etc., etc. And really, at the end of the day, that was a testament to the time spent on putting together original proprietary data and great design, great simple design, and being the only site and source out there publishing that data. Um, another story I like to tell, and this was not something that we did, but I was talking to someone once that worked at a um, company that does auto financing. And in their email list, they have millions of car owners that have financed cars through them. Um, they are the financing company that you usually go to when you buy a car. And then after you negotiate your car, they're like, okay, go talk to the financing guy in the back of the building, and they try to sell you extra stuff. But anyway, they decided a while back to put out an um, email blast, and the title was Free Gas or Dream Car? Question mark, right? So it's not a bad email title because it's a question mark. Free gas, dream car, who's not going to open that? It seemed that everyone opened it at the same time because they sent it out to their millions of subscribers all at once, and it crashed their server. But the point is, and what I learned from this, is that this is, if you've been around in marketing for more than five, six years, you remember Dig back in the day? This is a Dig effect in real life. So if you used to get to the front page of Dig, or now maybe Reddit, um, sometimes your site would go down that you get so much traffic. These people had such a passionate audience about cars, because everyone that is part of their newsletter financed a car through them, that when they sent this, they had so many clicks to their site, their banking and finance site, that's like a Fortune 50 site, crashed. So what I learned from that was, hey, don't forget if you're putting together content and you're even doing a linking campaign, don't forget your email list. So another thing I would tell you when you're preparing for next year with your content marketing and link building strategy, don't only look at PR, but look into your company's email marketing initiatives. Because first of all, you're going to have to coordinate a drop right ahead of time. You're going to have to talk to your email person and say, hey, we're planning this content push around Valentine's Day in February. I know you're doing a lot of promotions, but we really like to get a spot in there to be able to you know, push this article or content piece that we're doing. So do that ahead of time. The email list is the most targeted traffic that you have, more than likely, outside of possibly Facebook. So make sure your content is relevant. And then also, you know, Getting traffic to a website or piece of content is great, but targeted traffic, Google picks up those numbers. It helps you with bounce rate, time on site, et cetera, et cetera, and Google Chrome picks up the interactivity of users on your site. So getting a lot of targeted users to a piece of content that they can interact with is great, and it's gonna help you in the long game because it's gonna help that content rank over time. And at the same time, there's a high chance that your email list has multiple bloggers and influencers in it, right? So <clears throat> if you're a shoe company like Zappos, you probably have thousands of shoe bloggers and fashion bloggers in your list. Why not send something out to that list that's not necessarily an outreach email, but you're getting this content in front of them? And chances are they're going to share it, link to it, etc. Etc. So really take a well-rounded approach with the content that you develop, not only from a link building perspective, but from a content marketing perspective. Another thing I really like to do 
um, is helping out the sites which link to me. So now that I've got the link, right, I get a link from a site, and I look at that site, and I'll throw it in the SEM rush or whatever, and I'll see that it has a bunch of broken images or broken issues or whatever. So then I'll basically export that report, email that person, and say, hey, you know, we were checking out your site. Thank you so much for the link. But I also wanted to let you know that you have a lot of different um, image problems on your site, and that can actually help you at the, hurt you at the end of the day from a Google traffic perspective. Uh, here's a list of broken images. What I would recommend is that you take this and show it to your dev team and ask them to fix them because it just makes your site better at the end of the day. I really love your site, and I, and I want to read a blog that does not have broken images. Sincerely, Lauren Baker. So <clears throat> I always get a great response back from this because, one, I'm developing a relationship, and I'm adding value to that relationship right from the beginning. So if a site links to you, run a quick audit, find out some issues that are wrong with them, send them a thank you message, follow up with them, become their friend, and then... Um, you know, reach out to them in the future, they've linked to you, but getting that link is really the first step in the relationship, right? You've got the link, now it's up to you to develop a relationship with that influencer to be able to get more links in the future for your specific client or for your um, group of clients as well. Okay, and that gets in the link retention. So, you've built the links out there, right? You wanna keep them. You don't want those links to disappear. That's the last thing you want, especially if you're a marketing company, right? Because then you don't want two years down the line, someone's like, oh, yeah, they built these links and they disappeared and yada, yada, yada. So there's some great tools out there for monitoring the links that you've acquired. Uh, one of them is Raven tools. So in Raven, you can upload uh, your Excel sheet of all the links that you've acquired, and it will send you alerts if those links go down. And sometimes those links go down because of, like, 404s or site migrations or maybe someone forgets to pay GoDaddy or whatever it may be. So then you can alert that person and be like, hey, did you know, you know this page is down or whatever and get that link back up. So it's a great way to do so. Uh, Majestic is pretty good at this too. Ahrefs has a great tool for it. SEMrush is slowly rolling out um, their, their linking tool for this. So I'll look at the tools that you have and see what kind of link tracking ability they offer. I really like the Raven one though because it sends me an email letting me know that that happened and then I can drop that into my Asana or Podio assign it to the right person to email them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, again always keep a spreadsheet of the links that you build because you don't know what's going to happen over time. Um, there might be new client contacts. Um, your client may sign another company. So one thing I like to do, if, 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 if for any reason that ever happens, is send them the list of resources because chances are when you equip them to do something better, they'll come back to you in the future or that person will, yada, yada, yada. So... <clears throat> 2016 and 2017 have been and are going to be a big time of people doing migrations, uh, securing their sites, etc., etc., etc. First of all, if you ever do a site migration, do not change the URL structure if you don't have to. There's hardly any reason to do so unless your URL unless your URL structure sucks so bad the first time that you had to make it better. But if you do that, make sure that you throw one the old URL to the new URL, right? Uh, very basic, very simple, but make sure that happens. So if you hear that there's a migration happening, either within your company or on the client side or someone's talking about going secure, take the lead role. Get in there. Force yourself in there. 
bring up all these case studies that you can find online of sites that haven't migrated properly and um, make sure that you're part of that. And it's not just a page rank or linking thing, an SEO thing, it's a site performance thing. Um, and a, another great tool to identify, if you're working on a client that you know has had a migration in the past, there's a high chance that they have not done that migration correctly and they've actually lost the value of inbound links that they've built historically. A great way to do that is the pages tool on Majestic SEO. So you can put your client's domain into pages. It will list every single page that they've um, <clears throat> indexed in the Majestic Million or whatever they call it. And it will show you if those pages have been 301, if they're 404, if they're not working, and then the inbound link equity. So what I like to really do here is identify, I pretty run, much run this on every client now, is I identify pages that aren't working or maybe um, have had issues and have a high inbound link portfolio and um, really work on getting the client to fix those. Pretty simple stuff, you know, always 301 if you're going through a migration or figure that out, but um, this is a great tool to do so and it's also a great tool when you're putting together an audit. So, um, link repo, I talked about this before. Um, I highly suggest, or I use BuzzSumo for this. So, at BuzzSumo, um, I have an account where I've set up uh, monitoring of Search Engine Journal and our competition. And every day, I get an email from BuzzSumo that tells me about all the mentions that we're getting on other sites out there. Um, so, as you see here, you know, Express Writers link to us, they mention Search Engine Journal. And that's cool because um, there's no red thing under Express Writers. But then uh, with number seven, Blog Mutt. I'm not sure if that's really if that's a dog blog or what. But they wrote a piece and they referenced a search engine journal study. And BuzzSumo lets me know right there in the red. Note this mention does not link to any website. So what that means is they wrote about SEJ. They wrote about the brand but they didn't link to us, which is totally fine. They can do that, but I want to get that link. So I can utilize BuzzSumo to get the contact information of the blog or the blogger um, that wrote that post and just follow up with them and ask them for a link. And this is really a great system to set up um, for your clients. You can go into their historic mentions and look for the top sites or whatever to ask for link back, links back. And then also set up this monitoring alert so you get something in your email like every day letting you know uh, what kind of opportunities there are out there. And like I said, they've already written about you. The relationship begins, right? You're already top of mind for that blogger. Now you can send them an email and be like, hey, really appreciate that you wrote about our, our company and our study, but you know, would you mind just linking back to us? That way your readers can you know, see the exact study results, et cetera, et cetera. Now would be great. Um, you know, if they haven't linked out to other resources or there's some additional resources that they should add to that site, maybe you can put that in your email as well. Be like, hey, this is great. I also want to let you know, here's a couple other studies that are out there that you might want to also mention in your piece to make it a better piece. And then before you email them, make sure you retweet that piece, you like them, you reply back a thank you on Twitter, you share it, because then you're going to be even more top of mind. They've written about your brand, but they don't, may not know you. So if you can go out there and interact with them on Twitter or social media before emailing them about that uh, piece, that's going to make sure you open your mail. Okay, one of the last things I want to talk 
about, and then we're going to have about 10-15 minutes uh, for Q&A, is cross-domain canonicals. So <clears throat> this isn't necessarily linking, but it has a lot of the same value. Um, the content syndication is something that was a little bit frowned upon when Google Penguin rolled out because what happened was people used to contribute one specific article to like an articlezinearticles.com or something like that. And then next thing you know, it would be like on a thousand different article sites that no one ever reads. So that was one of the first things that you know Google really cracked down on with the Penguin update. And then, of course, we had to go back four or five years and erase all of those articles. But content syndication is still alive and well, just like guest blogging is. It exists in the real world. Almost every single newspaper conglomerate does it. So you'll read uh, something in the Chicago Tribune that comes from the LA Times. And what they'll do is they'll republish the LA Times original article on the Chicago Tribune and then give a canonical back to the LA Times. We do this at SEJ, or we have done this in S at SEJ with some of our content partners as well. Here's a great example with Buffer. So Buffer had a great article. We put together a syndication plan with Buffer. We're like, hey, we'd love to share your articles in SEJ for our audience. Um, and when we share that article, we put the canonical in there, which you can see from the code at the bottom. So this post may not show up on, SC, uh, on Google when people search, but this is a post at SEJ that will go out and share in our email list, social media, et cetera, et cetera, to get votes, shares, reads, whatever. And people typically link to it. So this is helping us, but it's really helping Buffer. Because when you put together a canonical tag, um, it shows Google who the owner is of the content. And typically what happens is that the owner of the content absorbs the link equity and the social equity of the content that's out there that's canonical back to the owner. So Buffer is, is getting all of this equity. Now, I've put together a similar campaign um, with a beauty school site that I work for where we're contributing content to multiple beauty and makeup magazines that need content. And then all of that content is canonicaling back to the beauty school that I work with. Since we started doing that, we've really started to see um, their rankings grow across the board. Um, I'm pretty positive it's because of the links that the magazines are getting. But then also, it's because of you know, the social equity, people clicking over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I really believe that, especially if you're a publisher or you're looking for content, that including something that is a content syndication strategy in, in your uh, plans for next year will be beneficial for you. And again, like most of the other examples that I've given today, it's not just beneficial from a link acquisition or, I guess, in this case, signal acquisition perspective. It's beneficial from a branding perspective. As you see, like, Buffer is all over SEJ here. We have Ash Reed's picture right there. All of our readers are seeing it. It's actually a higher quality picture, so you can see he's wearing a hoodie and everything else. Like, it's great. Um, it's great for uh, Buffer. It's great for us, and it's a great mutual experience. So this works dramatically. Thank you very much. And now we're going to open up for Q&A. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren. That was a lot. Of, I loved all the examples. I think that helps make it more real when there is a lot of good examples. So thank you. Thanks. I also just like to say that if you have any questions on link building or link strategies, feel free to ask them. It doesn't only have to be about what I presented today, 
but it can be about anything that's on your mind. So I'm yours for what, 10, 15 minutes and then I'm out. Yes. So you can keep asking questions in the question box and Danielle will get those to me. Uh, before we get started on that, our next webinar is marketing on Reddit, on, on Reddit not Reddit. Um, tips that make a difference. And that is December 14th at 2 p.m. Eastern. So it's a different time from today. Brent Satoris, who is one of our co-managing partners at SCJ and also our chief social media strategist um, will be presenting on that. So that'll be really great. He always does um, great presentations. So that being said, I'm gonna look through some of these questions that um, Danielle has been sending me. So the first one, an easy one, it's from Molly. She was at SCJ Summit New York this year. Um, she wanted to ask oh, cool. you, Lauren, uh, what's, what's considered a good trust flow number in Majestic? I like to shoot for 30 and above. Um, it's pretty much what a lot, 30 to 40 or above um, <clears throat> on the domain level. So that, that's the one thing too, is that uh, with Majestic, you'll see uh, the trust flow and citation flow repeating, uh, reporting on the page level and the domain level. The page level is not going, they're going to get initial trust flow, but it's not going to equal the domain. So look at the domain level's trust flow. Um, typically, most high power sites are in the 40 and above level. And then um, also, I think the same can be said for, um, you know, uh, the, the Moz, uh, what is it, page authority and domain authority metrics too. Yeah. It's pretty much the same number. Um, so one thing, one thing that I always uh, have a uh, challenge with is, uh, or small challenges with is sometimes I'll get a lead or a client saying, hey, we want to get more uh, domain authority by Moz, but I really like to look at all the different metrics across the board because different tools report in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so actually at Foundation, we have something that we call F-Rank, which is Foundation Rank, and um, <laughs> it's a formula that looks at uh, trust flow, citation flow, et cetera, et cetera, to help us determine what to reach out to. But anything 30, 40, or above is pretty good. Awesome. Um, all right, so we have two questions that are kind of about the same thing, so I'm going to ask them together. So Karina and Jared. Uh, so Karina had asked, does it matter if guest blogging has a nofollow link? And then Jared was asking, um, has the value of nofollow links changed over time? Are they valuable to some extent? Yeah. Um, so um, I think about six months ago, Inc.com went to uh, nofollow for a lot of their guest posting, and I am going, if I get an article in ink.com or Eight Magazine, I don't care if it's no follow or do follow, <laughs> right? Because yeah. that's an article in ink. And yeah. you have to think of it as, you know, that's a link that you can put in an email when you're reaching out to someone else, just saying, hey, just to let you know, you know, you're also featured in ink, yada, yada. But that's also something you can put on your homepage, right, as seen on ink. And ink might be a shoot for the moon example, but it's doable. Um, even uh, you know HuffPo and some other sites have gone you know no follow for a lot of their uh, UGC oriented content. Um, there is value, and Google has confirmed that there is value in brand mentions in content, right? Mm -hmm. So there's especially when they're displaying new sites or new brands or new URLs that are part of the site. So if you're getting a brand mention, that a nofollow link is still a brand mention, it's still a mention of your URL, it's just that you're not absorbing the equity of that site. 
I think there is still value, especially on, on high um, top shelf sites out there. Now, um, if you're talking about, if you're weighing one site versus the next, and you can get a do follow, then go for the do follow, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have the ability to get your site featured on a high level site and they're no following you, just take it. Just, just take it and be happy uh, because that brand mention is going to go way beyond just linking alone. And that's, that's another thing too is that, and I mentioned this earlier, with content that can go up the chain, right? So <clears throat> I don't show all the links that we do to like the CEOs of our clients because some of them aren't that great, but they're, they're good links from an SEO perspective. You know, you don't want to waste the CEO's time with, you know, a, a link from just some smaller blog that's starting out or whatever. But if you get a link from Inc. Magazine or from Rolling Stone or MTV, uh, MTV picked up a piece that we did not too long ago, and I think they know followed. But that sending that email with, you know, you've been on MTV, right? Yeah. Led to us do, getting more business from that client because they were so happy that they were on MTV. Yep. That's true. And I've also seen, so at SEJ, the uh, user website um, in our user bios for contributors, that's a no-follow link. And um, But I've, I've heard of a lot of people, and specifically our features writer, Anna, she has told me that she's gotten clients from her articles on SEJ. So if she's written right. something about, you know, a technical SEO audit, she's gotten clients that will say, okay, we see that you obviously know what you're doing. We want you to do an, a technical SEO audit for us. So like you're saying, it does go beyond just the, you know, if, whether it's a no follow or do follow of a link, there is other benefits to guest blogging besides the link. And I think that that's how people should be thinking of it. Think beyond the link, basically. Yeah, that's a good point too, because <clears throat> if you're on the kind of site that people are going to read and click on that link and go over to your site, and you're linking to a resource page in your site or an article or a great piece of content, um, people are going to share that, people are going to link to it, etc. So if that nofollow link is a discovery link, then mm -hmm. it's great at the end of the day too. Yes, good idea. Um, okay, so Sharon is asking, what company does Lauren use to create his infographics? Uh, we, we do that internally um, at Foundation Digital. Uh, we have staff that do our designs. Um, so uh, there's also a number of other good infographic-oriented um, design companies out there, and we can drop you a link um, from a uh, to a resource that has a lot of those. Um, so, but yeah. yeah, we do all that internally at our company. Or uh, Brent Satoris's <coughs> one of his companies, Pixel Road Designs, which hopefully Danielle can link to. They do infographics and they do an amazing job. Um, they did one for us that was summarizing um, an expert roundup we did, and it was great. So I would highly recommend them, even if they weren't Brent's company. Um, they do really, really great work, and uh, not too re not too uh, high priced either, from what I've seen. Uh, all right. Um, so Catherine is asking about more info about the fastest sci-fi ship infographic. She was saying, did uh, she was saying, um, did you see an increase in conversion? So in sales from getting those links. 
Um, for, for that one, yeah, we saw an increase in traffic. I didn't have that specific conversion numbers, but what I have seen is a lot of that depends also on clients having their analytics set up. Um, what I have seen is on some infographics, uh, when we're pulling their analytics numbers, we'll see direct sales coming from those pages. Um, so with the fastest ships one, it helped across the board. I don't have the exact, I'm pretty sure they had more sales. I know they raised in the rankings accordingly and the goal, goal was met. Um, and they also printed out posters of those as well and put oh, those cool. out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do have some examples of some that we've done that have led to just direct sales like for fashion clients and stuff like that. But people have found it, they found what to do, and then they see the, the calls to action to link or buy accordingly. On the fastest ships one, there wasn't necessarily a call to action. Uh, it was more so just internal links to like, the Star Wars toys page and stuff like that. Awesome. All right. So we're almost out of time. So I'm going to ask one more question. And I know you guys had more questions. So Danielle's going to send some of the ones that I didn't um, ask Lauren through email. And then Lauren can answer those on Twitter using the hashtag SCJThinkTake whenever he has time. And so the last question I want to ask you, Lauren, is from Derek. And he's saying, it seems like most of the link building strategy is around building content and then finding websites that will promote it. Is there, in, is there still any value in building links on legit vertical-related directories, resource pages, et cetera? Yeah, there is. Um, resource pages, again, just like guest blogging and stuff like that, resource pages are still alive. Um, also, you know, I, I think John Mueller from Google made an announcement earlier in the year uh, that you know, blog world links still have value. They don't hurt your site. Site-wide links don't always hurt your site. It just matters on the link itself. Um, but resource pages, yeah, looking into, there's all kinds of like, um, there's a lot of old resource pages out there or resource pages on high-quality sites that you can typically find when you're pulling backlink um, reports on competition or something like that. Um, they're worth sending an email to. They're worth reaching out to. It's definitely good linking. Uh, with directories, you know, um, I'm still a fan of Best of the Web. I think they do a pretty good job of their editorial and improving the right things and denying the right things. Um, and then on the vertical side, it's even more important because if you think about it, the vertical directories are where people are looking, are going to look and find specific things. If I'm going to look and find something online, I'm going to use Google. I'm not going to use DMOS. It just doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. <laughs> but if, if I'm looking for, um, if I'm looking for, like, especially in the B2B realm, if I'm looking for the best fab plastic fabrication companies on the East Coast, and I find a B2B, I'm going to find B2B directories in the Google results that have what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for uh, best, you know, dentists uh, in this area, if I'm looking for, you know, top um, plastic surgeons in this area, I'm going to find valuable directories to be able to list. Now, a lot of them are going to charge, right? So there's a couple ways that you go about this. First of all, if Google is serving those directories, they're of high value. So try to get in those directories. They're of high value from a linking perspective, and then also they're of high value because you know if Google is serving them, people are going to them to actually find something, right? Um, so then, you know, put together that list of, of those directories that Google is actually serving. Um, and then also, 
you know, you're going to want to put together a list of which ones are accepting organic links, right? Um, and I'm all for paying a directory uh, if they have an editorial process and they're like, hey, it's going to cost 50 bucks for us to review this link, your site, put together some information, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, don't, I just don't see that as a paid link at the end of the day. Um, but uh, there are a lot of directories out there that have switched to lead gen oriented um, linking, right? So <clears throat> that link that you get is basically an advertisement lead gen link. It, it, it looks like it. It, it, it. They probably have a disclaimer. Um, so it's not necessarily going to help you from an SEO perspective, but again, it can help you as a business perspective. And that's like, that's like second level SEO, right? Because if you look at queries like best beauty schools in Texas, you may find direct beauty school sites, but you're going to find a lot of different, a lot of different lead gen sites and beauty school oriented directories that then send that traffic and those people to your, your client. And at the end of the day, I consider that to be SEO because I want to be listed at the top of those directories and resources that people are finding. Um, yellow pages, super pages, uh, Yext is great at that. Um, any of the traditional directories that you see out there ranking, and then also your lead gen oriented sites as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I think that's all time we have. So Lauren, again, thank you for a great webinar. And to everyone else, thanks for coming. And be sure to check out uh, Brent's webinar on December 14th. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.